0: How are you guys doing? This side beat this side this week. That's awesome. So um, I am so glad we are going through the Book of Hosea. But let's be honest. If you got, how many of you read this week the second half of Hosea? Raise your hands. Good, we've got a good, great smattering of people who have done that. Uh, for those of you who may be here for the first time, we're going through the Bible in five years period of time, and we're doing it together as a congregation. And so what we do is we read a portion of the scripture every single day, six days a week, and then the message on Sunday is based upon our reading for the week. So if you would like a, a book that goes through uh, where we're at, which we're finishing Hosea this week, we'll be in Joel next week. And so if you want to be up with our readings, uh, you can go to the information desk. They have both little bookmarks that have the readings uh, out for you so you know what we're reading each day. Or you can grab a little booklet that just has the scriptures in it and a place for you to write notes. That's it. That's all that's there. Kind of rough reading this week, wasn't it, guys? We're reading through Hosea, and we have these numbers of messages, as Mark did such a great job last week, talking about how this isn't just all one preaching. These are a number of messages throughout the ministry of Hosea that are compiled over time that we have together. None of them seem all that uplifting. There are a couple in there talking about what will happen if Israel will, will repent, that God will bring them back, he'll He'll uh, foster and honor the covenant relationship that he has with Israel, as it talks about in Deuteronomy chapter 30, says, look, even if I scatter you to the uttermost parts of the wind, if you return to me with all of your heart, I will bring you back. And we get a little of that, especially in Hosea 14, but the rest looks pretty bleak, doesn't it? We read 9 through 13, excuse me, 8 through 13, and it was was tough. It was tough because the message comes continued to be the same over and over and over again about this impending doom, this impending punishment for the northern kingdom. And so to get a flavor of that today, we're going to read together a couple of chapters of Hosea from a message that's titled Watchmen in an Unholy Land, which I had to look up again. I was like, that's a great title, and I'd forgotten it before today, but somebody asked me about it. So, but It really is watchmen on a holy land. And by the end of this, I think all of us are going to be challenged. Many of us may even be offended. So brace yourself. I'm just telling you ahead of time. Because the message that Hosea preaches to the people of Israel is one that needs to be preached to us as well. So, let's read some of this together. We're going to read chapters 9 and 10 together. Turning your Bibles with me there. Do not rejoice, O Israel. Do not be jubilant like other nations. You have been unfaithful to your God. You love the wages of a prostitute at every threshing floor. Threshing floors and wine presses will not feed the people. The new wine will fail them. They will not remain in the Lord's land. Ephraim will return to Egypt and eat unclean food in Assyria. They will not pour out wine offerings to the Lord, nor will their sacrifices please him. Such sacrifices will be to them like the bread of mourners. All who eat them will be unclean. This food will be left, will be for themselves. It will not come into the temple of the Lord. What will you do on the day of your appointed feast, on the festival days of the Lord? Even if they escape from destruction, Egypt will gather them and Memphis will bury them. Their treasures of silver will be taken over by briars and thorns will overrun their tents. The days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this. Because your sins are so many and your hostility so great, the prophet is considered a fool, the inspired man, a maniac. The prophet, along with my God, is the watchman over Ephraim. Yet snares await him on all his paths, and hostility in the house of God. They have sunk deep into corruption, as in the days of Gibeah. God will remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins." When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your fathers, it was like seeing the early fruit on a fig tree. But when they came to Baal Peor, they consecrated themselves to that shameful idol and became as vile as the thing that they loved. Ephraim's glory will fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Even if they rear children, I will bereave them of every one. Woe to them when I turn away from them. I've seen Ephraim like Tyre planted in a pleasant place. But Ephraim will bring out their children to the slayer. Give them, O Lord. What will you give them? Give them wombs that miscarry and breasts that are dry. Because of, of all their wickedness in Gilgal, I hated them there. Because of their sinful deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will no longer love them. All their leaders are rebellious. Ephraim is blighted. Their root is withered. They yield no fruit. Even if they bear children, I will slay their cherished offspring. My God will reject them because they have not obeyed him. They will be wanderers among the nations. Israel was a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit for himself. As his fruit increased, he built more altars. As his land prospered, he adorned his sacred stones. Their heart is deceitful, and now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will demolish their altars and destroy their sacred stones. Then they will say, we have no king because we did not revere the Lord. But even if we had a king, what could he do for us? They make many promises. They take false oaths. They make agreements. Therefore, lawsuits spring up like poisonous weeds in a plowed field. The people who live in Samaria fear for the calf idol of Bethhaven. Its people will mourn over it, and so will its idolatrous priests, those who had rejoiced over its splendor because it is taken from them into exile. It will be carried to Assyria as tribute for the great king. Ephraim will be disgraced. Israel will be ashamed of its wooden idols. Samaria and its king will float away like a twig on the surface of the waters. The high places of wickedness will be destroyed. It is the sin of Israel. Thorns and thistles will grow up and cover their altars. And then they will say to the mountains, cover us and to the hills, fall on us. Since the days of Gibeah, you have sinned, O Israel, and there you have remained. Did not war overtake the evildoers in Gibeah? When I please, I will punish them. Nations will be gathered against them to put them in bonds for their double sin. Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh. So I will put a yoke on her fair neck and I will drive Ephraim. Judah must plow and Jacob must break up the ground. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. But you have planted wickedness. You have reaped evil. You have eaten the fruit of deception because you have depended on your own strength and on your many warriors. The roar of your battle will rise against your people so that all your fortresses will be devastated. As Shalman devastated Beth Arbol on the day of battle when mothers were dashed to the ground with their children, thus it will happen to you, O Bethel, because your wickedness is great. And when that day dawns, the king of
1: Israel will be completely destroyed. Now oh, what an uplifting message.
0: When we read Hosea, and Mark talked about this last week and we read about this uh, earlier when we were going through the histories, the northern kingdom of Israel had set up calf idols, one in the northernmost part in Dan and one down at Bethel. And Jeroboam had set this up so that the people of Israel would not go down to Jerusalem to worship God. And so he said, hear, O Israel is the God who brought you out of Egypt. Jeroboam was placed by God to be king, but not to usurp his authority. And these calf idols caused all types of idolatry to grow up within Israel. This is what we're seeing when we're seeing Hosea confront the people of Israel concerning all of this. And he's promising, you know what? When we look in the law, when we look in in Deuteronomy 28 and 29 and 30, we see that God is very serious about the people of God worshiping him and him alone. And if they were to start worshiping other gods, what's going to happen is he's going to raise up people to oppress them, to displace them. Much as the people of Israel displaced the people of the land before them. And so Hosea is bringing forth this message and saying, judgment is coming. And he's naming names. It's going to be Assyria. Assyria is going to come and is going to put you into slavery. The references to Egypt here is not Egypt so much as the land as it is to the idea that they came out of slavery from Egypt. He's putting them back into slavery as they were in Egypt, and Assyria is the one who's doing it. And the reason being is because they continued their idol worship over and over and over
1: again. The more you prospered, the more you built these idols. The more you bowed down to them. The more that you
0: continued to go after that. And so we see some very great punishments that are laid down among the people of Israel. Some of, the, some of the language that is here. If we look in Hosea 9 verses 11 through 14 that we read before. But it says this. Ephraim's glory will fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Even if they rear children, I will bereave them of every one. Woe to them when I turn away from them. I've seen Ephraim like Tyre planted in a pleasant place, but Ephraim will bring out their children to the slayer. Give them, O Lord. What will you give them? Give them wombs that miscarry and breasts that are dry. That uh, that is that is a rough description of the type of punishment that's coming upon the people. Your children are not going to escape this punishment.
1: I am against you, so much so that the slayer is coming for your children. We don't like to think about God in that way, do we? But this was a covenant promise.
0: This is the things that God had promised his people. This would happen if you turn away from me. This is not what I want, but this is what's going to happen. This is our agreement together in our covenant relationship. We will serve you. We will do what you want us to do. Oh God, we will follow the law. They did not do it. They turned away to idols and God is enforcing the covenant that they
1: agreed to and the people don't realize how terrible that punishment really is because they thought they were fine
0: you know there's a faction of people among the people of Israel that thought because they were wealthy they were under the blessing of god we continue to see that in the new testament as a matter of fact when jesus on the sermon on the plain and he says blessed who are those of you who are poor Because there was this idea that the idea of poverty meant poor in spirit. So in Luke we see blessed are you who are poor. But in Matthew chapter 5 we see blessed are the poor in spirit. Because many in Israel at the time equated the two. That if you are poor you are poor in spirit. Because you are not receiving the covenant blessings of God in your life. Which was to prosper you. Kind of the health and wealth gospel of their time. And because we are prosperous, because we are in need of nothing, therefore God is happy with us, was the idea that the people of Israel went forth. So they continued their idolatry in thinking that this blessing that we have is of God. And it's ironic what happens as a result of it judgment is about to come. As a matter of fact, we are going from, you know what? We keep prospering, and therefore we're going to keep doing this to judgment. And notice what's going to happen at the end in Hosea chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. The high places of wickedness will be destroyed. It is the sin of Israel. So God is making very clear these idols, these high places, all of these things. This is why judgment is coming. Thorns and thistles will grow up and cover their altars. Then they will say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. And since the days of Gibeah, you have sinned, O Israel. And there you have remained. Did not war overtake the evildoers in Gibeah. When I please, I will punish them. Nations will be gathered against them to put them in bonds for their double sin. This rough passage of Scripture, God is making very clear, here is the reason why you're being punished. And when punishment comes, you are going to run to the hills for shelter, but it's not going to save you. See, the irony is, those last two passages that I, that I talked about, we're also going to see in the New Testament in a moment because they come in this idea of judgment of God, which isn't foreign to the New Testament. As a matter of fact, we see that Jesus refers back to Hosea in both of those same passages when judgment comes among the people of this world. But the more ironic thing is this. When we look at how the prophet is treated among the people of God. Hosea 9, 7 and 8. The days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this. Because your sins are so many and your hostility so great, the prophet is considered a fool. The inspired man, a maniac. The prophet, along with my God, is the watchman over Ephraim. Yet snares await him on all of his paths and hostility in the house of God. Here's what Hosea
1: is saying. The prophet isn't respected among the people as even being a man of God. He's treated as a maniac. He's treated as a fool because he would follow God and his word rather than what the culture and the world is doing around them how far they have fallen. That they would look at a man of God with such disrespect that the very words coming from his mouth as the word of God shouldn't be heeded but be treated as that of a foolish person. You don't know what you're talking about. How could you live like that? That's, that's stupid. Everybody else is living this way.
0: In so much that even when he goes into the temple of God, not just the culture of the people of Israel, but when he goes into the temple, he's still treated that way.
1: He's supposed to be among the faithful of God, right? Because we're in the temple.
0: And yet, the prophet is being treated as a fool, as a maniac, as a man without discernment. But he's the one speaking the very words of God.
1: How far they have fallen! Now, I told you that this idea of judgment,
0: these references that I'm that I'm talking to you about, are alluded to in the New Testament in places that might surprise you. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 23. Jesus is literally on his way to the cross. He's carrying his cross.
1: Down to verse 26.
0: As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene who was on his way from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. And a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. And Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore, And the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? You notice these two references right there? The exact same references. Because in context, uh, Hosea 9 and 10 are together. And so Jesus is putting in this prophecy of Scripture and saying, this is also for you. There's going to come a time, because of judgment of God, that you're going to say, blessed is the person who does not bear children, whose womb is empty, whose breasts do not... Nurse, exactly what Hosea said about the judgment of God. And I truly believe, ever since I have read this passage of Scripture, Luke 23, I 100% believe that Jesus
1: is referencing abortion here. There will come a time when you will say, Blessed are the woman who does not conceive. I have always believed that when I've looked at this passage of Scripture.
0: We look at a holocaust, and I don't use that word lightly, of unborn children that have been slaughtered here in America, 63 million of them since Roe versus Wade. And we think that somehow the nation, our nation,
1: will escape the judgment of God. Revelation chapter 6. We have all the seal judgments that take place in
0: Revelation chapter 6. And as we get to the end of the chapter, after the sixth seal has been opened, and it's evident that the judgment of God is coming upon the earth... Verse 15, it says, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, and they called to the mountains, and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Exact same wording from Hosea. That when Jesus comes, it's going to be like the people of Israel when Assyria comes. They're going to run to the mountains and they're going to say, mountains, fall on us. We cannot stand against the wrath of the promised punishment that is to come on us from Assyria. But they wouldn't be able to escape. And in the same way, at the end of time, when Jesus comes back, guess what? Oh my goodness, he's here. I know that I did not follow him. Where am I going to go? I'm going to go to the mountains and hope that they fall on us. Maybe I can be safe there.
1: Because who can stand against God when he's revealed to this world? do we believe that the land that we're currently in is a holy land? Because I don't. I don't. But one of the great mistakes, I believe,
0: of our Christian walk, at least here in America, and I'm I'm not going to speak for around the world because
1: I don't live around the world. I live here. Is that we've tried so hard to conform to the image
0: of this world rather than living wholeheartedly for Christ it's subtle it sneaks its way into us because we don't want to live as a different people but we're coming to a point right now in our society where some of the views it just normal christian views Make the world look at us as if we're fools, that we're maniacs, that we're stupid. The exact same way that Hosea was looked upon from his people during his day.
1: And we're afraid as Christians to rock the boat. To upset the apple
0: cart. To bring any type of tension into relationships around us or cultural norms around us that have been accepted by society because we fear that by us making a stand for Jesus in some certain area, whether it's against our culture or our family who's adopted the ways of the culture, that we are somehow being unloving to our family and our friends, and to the culture in general concerning Jesus Christ. If I get into an argument about Jesus, well, guess what? I must have not loved the way Jesus wanted me to love. You guys feel that tension? I know you do. I know the world does. And it causes you and I to compromise in areas that Jesus doesn't want us compromising in. Let me give you some examples, and I am going to offend you, but I offend you in love because I want you to know the truth of Jesus Christ. My daughter went to public school. My oldest daughter went to public school for three years, uh, kindergarten, first grade, seventh grade. Outside of that, we homeschooled them. In seventh grade, sex education came up. It was like, oh, we're going to have this whole sex education class. Okay. And so here's the deal. The sex education class in school is led by Planned Parenthood.
1: Did you guys know that? Yeah, it is. Well, everybody else is doing
0: it. Signed a waiver and said, my child will not be participating. You know why? Because I know what Planned Parenthood stands for, and it is not anything that I'm interested in. They're not biblical, they're not right. They're gonna my daughter's gonna hear about sex from me and how things go. She's gonna hear it from the Word of God, and that's how we're gonna do it. Now, I don't believe that I my family was the only Christian in the school
1: that my daughter was in. But my daughter was the only one who didn't take the class. The only one. And why not? So she
0: sat by herself alone in the library
1: all during the time that they were teaching the sex education part of class. While many other parents, I'm not sitting here and blaming, but I am chastening,
0: allowed their children to be taught. From a non-biblical worldview concerning sexuality that is so pervasive in our schools now. And as bad as it was when my
1: daughter was in seventh grade, it's so much worse now. That you and I, because we don't want to rock the boat or
0: be different or bring any type of stigma to our children, we allow them to step in with the culture that is going to promote death through abortion, that is going to promote sex outside of marriage or any which way you want, that's going to promote identity and gender confusion to our kids uncritically because we don't want to
1: rock the boat? And I'm the crazy one? You guys see how that works? How quickly that changes things. How we have an entire generation that is growing up right now under that ideology. Where you're
0: getting in arguments with your kids because, you know what, my friends are gender fluid or whatever
1: the thing is. And it's real. And you know why it is? Because we don't want to rock the boat. And we end up saying things according to the Word of God, and they look at us like we're crazy. Two years ago,
0: we started this pandemic, and we were told by our government
1: that religious church. Services were not essential. As of now,
0: two years later, according to all the data and research that I look at, between one third and one half of people have not come back to the body of Christ.
1: but we were the crazy ones for coming back into fellowship or not stopping at all. Because the world somehow gets to dictate what our faith in Jesus is And to be fair, it's a small
0: step to go into isolation and leave the church when we see the church as an
1: optional thing to do in the first place. It's just the last step of walking out the door, not letting it hit you on the way out. For so long, outside of what the Word of God says, We have made every excuse not to be in fellowship. Not to be with one another. Not to get involved in life groups. Yes, I'm calling
0: everybody out. Like I said, it's not going to be easy to hear. We're supposed to be a particular people. John 13, 34, 35 says... A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. And somehow the pandemic told us, hey, stop loving. The best thing you do to love one another is not be around each other. What? Tell me a marriage that's going to survive that. You know what? As a husband and wife, the best thing you can do, don't spend time around one another. You'll never get an argument that way.
1: That's what they told us to do. And we did it. Because we didn't want to rock the boat. We didn't want to upset people. And it, the ones who did it, they were. The- so pervasive in our culture is that isolationism. If we've allowed loved ones to die without people by their side. And we've called that love. Think about that for just a moment. If
0: my wife somehow contracted COVID and was in a hospital room, you bet I would spend my last breath sitting by her side. And not watching her on a Zoom call. Do you understand that? But we've adopted this idea of love that a love says, I stay away from you. I don't come in contact with you because guess what? You might somehow cause harm to me. You are destined in this life only for death and only eternal life through regeneration in Jesus Christ. That's it.
1: We've just become a little bit more aware of it through the pandemic. We've adopted so much of the world.
0: We've lost our look as a a peculiar people because we've tried so hard to fit in to where the person who preaches the word of God and says you need to do exactly what God says to obey the commandments of Christ comes off as a crazy person.
1: Even within the realm of the church. Matthew chapter 5. In the
0: beatitudes as jesus close out closes out the beatitudes starting in verse 10 Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven,
1: for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, Jesus warned us that living for him was going to mean the
0: world was going to call us crazy when we didn't conform to their ungodly lifestyle and their ungodly actions and their ungodly reasons for living the way that they did we were going to be maligned sometimes that's within our own families who don't know jesus And we take erroneously the idea that conflict within our families, within our culture, somehow means we're not doing the will of God. Because we're supposed to speak the truth in love. And therefore, if they were offended, I must not have been very loving. You know, if that were the truth, then when Jesus said to the Pharisees, you may go to the world to make a, a disciple for yourself. And when you do, you make him twice the son of hell as you are. That didn't sound very loving. Because Jesus' idea of love and his purpose for bringing people to himself was that they had to make a decision about him. Whether or not they agreed with it wasn't on his mind. And to those who came repentantly, he treated gently and lovingly. And to those who had a hard heart, he came hard because he needed to break it in order to get through that they might be saved. Because in the end, it was a decision about serving Christ.
1: We need to be people who believe in community as believers in Jesus Christ again. The world is not going to be our community.
0: will never be our community. And going down that path will always put us in opposition to the words and commands of Christ. Oh, and they'll try and convince us. They'll try and say and redefine love for us and redefine the commands of Jesus, saying that this is what love truly is. Love allows you to do whatever you want sexually. Love allows you to, to uh, interpret the Scriptures any way you want to so that you can have your own outcome from it. I don't listen to the world because it cares nothing for Jesus. I want the voice of Christ to be greater. And we need to be in a community that is greater. That we need to be around one another, sacrificing for ourselves in community more than we're sacrificing for the world who cares nothing about
1: this community nor Jesus. It's the only way to prevent the drift
0: that happens Because of the culture around us. If we create within our communities a counterculture that says, nope, Jesus first. Jesus first. Jesus wants us to meet together. I'm going to be there. Well, that's going to prevent you from having opportunities. I I don't
1: care. It's not about those opportunities. It's about Jesus. Jesus. You know, the Planned Parenthood is going to come to my school. Well, my kid's not going to be a part of that. Well, they'll be by themselves. I, I don't care. It's not their job to teach my children about sexual morality that was established by God. It's mine. So they can learn to sit outside and be an outcast because we are. And begin to understand the cost of what it means to start living for Jesus in a society that cares nothing about him. People are going to call you crazy. They're going to call you stupid.
0: They're going to call you unloving. They're going to call you all types of names so that you won't do it anymore. And the voice of Jesus has to be greater. Has to be. This is what it means to be a watchman in an un holy land. It means we need to get our priorities straight and aligned with Jesus, even if it costs us something because it's supposed to. I can't read the words of Jesus throughout the New Testament without hearing, if they persecuted me, they're going to do that to you. And it's like we're trying to avoid it at all costs so that we can be friends with the world and have Jesus as our, our homeboy
1: And think that everybody's going to like us. It don't work that way. Jesus never
0: promised that it did. You and I need to start listening to his voice rather than the culture's voice. Even when that puts us at odds with the
1: culture. Some of you need to stop avoiding church every week just because you don't feel like being here. We're commanded to meet together, period. Some of you need to learn how to love one another in Christ. That's
0: why we have life groups, and you need to get involved so that you can know your brothers and sisters in Christ for whom you sacrifice for. And stop making the excuse, I live too far away. Dude, I live on the west side of Rio Rancho. I'm near the Arizona border. I've been in life groups for 14, 15 years now, and sometimes I would travel from my Arizona border into town just to be a part of life groups. Stop making
1: excuses. Stop it. Falls on deaf ears. We need to start honoring Christ with all of our lives. We need to be a community
0: fully committed to Jesus in every way. And yes, people are going to make fun of us. And yes, people are going to question our sanity.
1: I've had enough of that. I don't really care what people think. I'm just going to follow Jesus. You need to have that mindset too. Would you stand with me?
0: I told you I was going to offend you. I warned you. But I love you. And that's why I do it. If I didn't care about you, I wouldn't say a thing. i just let you keep going. But I love you guys. And I want, want God's best for you. I want you to want God's best for you too. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for your word. Thank you for hard messages that quicken our souls, Lord. Bring us to a place where it confronts us with our own ugliness, Lord, myself included. I'd preach a sermon to myself before I can preach it to anybody else. God, let us be a people who are totally committed to you. Committed to our fellowship, committed to living for you even when it costs us something. Because it's supposed to cost us something. You told us that. Help us to walk in that, Lord. And know the blessing, there's a blessing that comes through that. There really is. That's what you said. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. God, there's a blessing in persecution, Lord. Let us not run from it just because it's happening. And there's a possibility that it might happen to us. May we glorify you with our lives. May we share the love of Jesus, even when it's hard. Help us, dear
1: Heavenly Father, become the people of God you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.